And welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant. Yes, we moved again, but I'm here with my good friend, Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Yes, we're in a, another setup. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the same one that we were in previously, but this time we're with chairs. Chairs instead of at a table. Yes. And the angle's a little different, so you may see the cat behind me. You might not. It just depends. Well, you know, keep it interesting. Yeah. If the conversation isn't interesting, at least the environment is. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Occasionally, camera falling over or something. We actually haven't had that. The cat's right. been a lot more hospitable than I thought he would be. So. You know, when Charlotte and I got married, um, we, at the time, video, off, huh? uh, they weren't as big of a deal as they are now. Yeah. That technology was all still kind of new, so there weren't people making a living doing that kind of stuff. There were photographers, but not videographers. So, um, a friend of ours agreed, or he actually volunteered to say, hey, I'll, I'll record your uh, wedding on a camera. And we have a, so we have, we have that footage. And, uh, at one point in the wedding, I guess something went wrong with the tripod. So the camera that had been pointing at the group up on the platform suddenly you could just see it starting to move slowly up and then the next thing it falls backwards and it's looking <laughs> up at the ceiling and then you hear the hurried steps of him trying to get back there so, but we haven't had that happen on the podcast no, no cameras have all stayed probably during this conversation i'm going to cross my legs or something and hit this tripod so it yes could well for today's conversation um i thought that we would talk about a question I think a lot of people have, because it's kind of uh, weird. So I guess I'll just ask the question. Um, <clears throat> what does it mean to fear God? You know, there's a lot of verses that say, for instance, in Proverbs, I think it says, there's two specifically. It says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to fear God? Is it, isn't fear a bad thing? Uh, typically, that's how we perceive it. We typically use the word fear uh, to describe scared. Um, it's more of a, the way they're choosing the Bible, it's more of a word that was rooted in those languages. And so it, it didn't always mean scared or petrified. It really had to do with deep and profound respect. So it's an understanding of how big, powerful, or um, capable God is. And that includes his anger, and that includes his judgment. So really, the way I've always interpreted the fear of the Lord or the fear of God in the biblical context is um, this deep, profound respect for who God is and what he's like and what he's capable of. And um, that sort of idea isn't very popular these days. I think we've talked, um, just in the last couple of podcasts, we've talked several times about, you know, the, the going characteristic of God that's most popular is his love. Yeah. Which is then that even that, that word love is interpreted in light of kind of our contemporary social understanding of basically letting people do as they please and yeah. not making anybody feel uncomfortable. That's love which isn't a biblical love, which isn't a healthy love, which isn't a wise love. Um, 
I don't even think it's just, uh, it's not even love. No, it's not. It's just yeah. not. Yeah, that's a good way to say that. But um, so in our contemporary appeal for, you know, a loving God, this whole idea of the fear of God um, really doesn't get a whole lot of traffic yeah. or attention. But nevertheless, it doesn't go away. And um, it's probably, I was thinking on the way over here, in light of some of what we're seeing unfolding in our nation or in our society, in our culture, it's not just localized to the United States. Kind of the it's, West in general. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, yeah, the West. Um, it's probably long overdue to revisit an understanding of what it means to have a healthy fear of God. Yeah. Because our, our society does not. And so consequently, we see a lot of the permissiveness that we have because nobody's nobody has a deep and profound respect for what God's capable of, which just it creates problems. I heard I was reading something the other day, and they, it was talking about how we have forsaken the idea that God is a like the our Father, and we've and I and I, I kind of it's by this guy named Nathan Finocchio. We've we've kind of taken that idea away. And instead replaced it with essentially kind of like this boyfriend, friend yeah. type scenario. Yeah. Um, and it's it's odd because, and maybe what do you think about this? This just kind of dawned on me. But the, the effects that we're seeing whenever God is no longer our heavenly father, a father who we are supposed to respect and have this this healthy fear for, right? Because, I mean, I, yeah. whenever I messed up, there was always, I saw this, it was like every family should have the, like, Whenever the mom is interacting with the children, there's always the looming shadow of the father behind her, right? Yeah, right. And it's like, don't let me get your father into this. And it's like, yeah. okay, never mind. Words like, of fear in my day was wait till your dad gets home. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was the, yeah, yes. Yeah, he was the one that was going to be bringing the, especially once I got older, the severe punishment. Right. And and even just the way that he spoke too. Um, but regardless, we've taken this idea away of seeing God as our father and and so that deep respect, that deep uh, uh, maybe reverence for him, it almost the consequences almost mirror what happens whenever you take the father out of the home, which is I think a lot of what our. I mean, you can see it by even just stats, yeah. like the statistics of our society of, of fatherless homes is I think, in 1940 it was like five percent of children were born, to, uh, you know, a a, a absent father home, and now it's 40. Wow, which is insane. Yeah, but you're you're the same effects, the same consequences are kind of, the negative consequences are kind of occurring. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that's it's a legitimate perspective. Um, basically, uh, the father, and I'm not saying the mother doesn't, but the sure. father's sort of the localized um, place of accountability for responsibility. I mean, that was the intended purpose or the place of the of the father, and so. When you remove that, then you're, you're raising a family without that accountability to responsibility. And again, not a very popular topic, but without the accountability, then there's no consequences. And yeah. so you just, you, you develop a permissive child, you develop a permissive family, you develop a permissive society because nobody's really feeling any kind of weight about if I do this, there's consequences. And, um, 
And, you know, again, I, I, looking at a, a complete picture of God in the Bible, that's part of what's behind the commandments is that there's accountability to this. There's, um, there is responsibility to these commands and to ignore them as consequence. You know, I was on a sabbatical, we were talking about that in the last podcast and don't make more of this than, than necessary, but part of the intentionality of my sabbatical was I wanted it to be a hard place. So sort of like a wilderness experience. And that was all very intentional because I felt like that was important for what I was trying to accomplish. And part of my sabbatical was I was reading through the, uh, the life of Moses from a kind of a leadership perspective. And so I got into the account where God's giving instructions for the tabernacle and um, a lot of the times I was reading in a printed Bible, but some of my readings were taking place. I was using an app on my phone and it affords me an opportunity where I can kind of hold my thumb down on the screen and it'll highlight a passage and I can choose a color. And, um, I was seeing this pattern. So I started highlighting, uh, these different passages and I just started seeing this thing where God was giving these very specific and clear instructions about, I want it built this way. I want it you know, made of this wood. I want it these dimensions. I want it with this um, metal placed over it or this uh, element. And then, then it was very specific. When you pick it up and carry it, it needs to be carried this way by these people. So he gives these very specific instructions. And then I started noticing that sometimes those instructions came with very severe consequences. If they were ignored, essentially said, I'll strike them dead. If they don't do this, they're going to die. And again, that's just not popular preaching these days, but what it demonstrates is that when God speaks, there's a seriousness to it and there are consequences for, um, ignoring it. And I think certainly in culture and society, but I'm also afraid in the church that's generally been lost. We don't, we don't preach that topic very often mm -hmm. about the specific nature of God's commands and the serious or severe consequences for ignoring it. Um, Jonathan Edwards, preached this classic sermon back in 1740s something. So a few years ago. Yeah. I was not alive then. No. Why? No. Spite of I how, wasn't thinking that. In spite of how old you think I am. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was uh, entitled uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angering God. And it became a classic. I mean, literally, it was instrumental in thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. Pretty sure it like helped kick off a revival. Yeah, the, the Great Awakening yeah. in America was largely instrumental. That sermon was largely instrumental in that movement. And it's interesting, nowadays, people will sit back and critique that message. And yeah, we say, look at it with disgust, really. Yeah, they'll say, oh, you can't talk to people like that. And they'll say, um, really, he was just bullying people. He was 
manipulating and intimidating people to make decisions of faith. It was all very coercive. And I'm like, no, that that's not accurate because people like Moses and people like uh, Jesus and people like the Apostle Paul, they spoke some really, really harsh things, hard to hear things. Were they being coercive? Were they manipulative? I mean, is that what you're going to assign to yeah. Jesus? Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes it's necessary that those really hard things be declared because they're truth and people have responsibility to them. And so um, I think sinners in the hang hands of an angry God is just one illustration of probably a conversation that's long overdue to be had. Now, it may be delivered in a different way in 2023 than it was in the 1700s, of course. But but I see just an avoidance of the entire topic as a whole, not even so much as, you know, how you deliver it. It just isn't being talked about. Um, another one I think about, when I was in college, I uh, went to this Christian college and preparing to for to be a pastor. And... Um, I had to take a couple of preaching classes and one of the, some of the assignments included listening to other sermons that preachers delivered. And somewhere along the way, the line, I stumbled across, uh, an old, um, Southern Baptist pastor. I think he was from maybe Louisiana, uh, RG Lee. And then I stumbled across a particular message that he delivered and was famous for. It was called Payday Someday. And it ended up being preached, I think, like 6,000 times. Mm. He was invited to all these different places to deliver this message. So I, uh, in college, I listened to it on a cassette recording. And then I actually have a copy, a written copy of it in my library. And then just like, like a week, Three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I was revisiting it and I looked it up on the internet. I actually found a video of him, you know, an old camera footage of him delivering the message. But in that message, he talks about the fact that um, sometimes the wheels of God's justice moves very slowly, but they ultimately arrive. Yeah. And when God makes promises, sometimes he takes a long time to fulfill the promises, but he always comes through on his promises. And in that message, he's looking at an account from the Old Testament, and um, he's, he's explaining that the people who perpetrated the evil thought they got away with it because nothing happened to them. And it was a long, long time, but then eventually the record in the Old Testament demonstrates that what the prophet announced as being the consequences for their sin came true. And again, it's a really powerful sermon. And he, he has some illustrations in it that were very real to his day and some of the people that he interacted with as a pastor. And it's just a powerful sermon about the fact that God's serious about what he said, what's been revealed about him. Um, I think it's Hebrews. Is it pretty sure it's Hebrews? God is a consuming fire. And yeah. We just don't 
we don't like that language. Nowadays. I ended my sermon with that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, he, just because our popular society sort of, you know, pushes that away and doesn't embrace that. It doesn't mean God stopped being it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just that it's only in the grace of God that he is slow to deliver on his promise to judge sin and uh, bring his wrath against all unrighteousness. Those are things that he's committed to and they will happen. Um, it would just be prudent on the lives, uh, in the lives of human beings if they were a bit more afraid of what God's capable of doing and the fact that he will do it, that they'd take seriously their you know, response to the instructions he's provided about how to stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely, there is that fine line between, I guess, leading your evangelism with fear or with a, a message of fear and, um, one of love or one of, uh, the good news shouldn't be proclaimed in a way that just like, Hey, you should fear God. And, um, that's kind of the idea behind the whole Pascal's wager. It's like, well, God could be real or he could not be real, but if he is, yeah, yeah. then I kind of want to, it's a safer bet to go with. Right. Yeah. And so there is this fine line between it. And so how do you, I mean, you, and I'm sure you've probably struggled or struggled through this, but like, how do you walk that line between, I guess you just try to mirror Jesus walking the line between, uh, putting this message forward of just, cause you don't want to just say like, Hey, be afraid. But at the same time, people need to be afraid. And so how do you yeah, communicate that to people? Yeah. And it is, it's a, it's a dance. Um, a lot of it, I th a lot of it's determined by the motive of the preacher. I mean, he can be, his motive can be, I just want to intimidate and bully and scare people. Um, or his motive can genuinely be one of love and concern that he's going to plead with his audience. Please be aware of this. And you know, the way I've always dealt with it or not always, but in the last 15, 20 years, when I had to make some decisions about how to shoulder the burden of, of being a communicator of God's word is I just had to decide. I, I just, my job is to let them know I can't make their choices for. Them. And so I can plead, I can be persuasive. I can, um, show them my concern. But ultimately I have to, I have to let the choice be theirs. Yeah. And so, um, I think probably the best way to explain the balance is that, is that the gospel of Jesus is the good news. And that's not just, it's the good news. Cause now you get to go to heaven when you die. It's the good news really in the explanation that it's through Jesus that you are pulled out of the path of a holy and righteous God whose wrath will be delivered on sinners. That's the good news, not, oh, your sins are forgiven and you get to go to heaven when you die. The good news is, no, you've been spared from a consuming fire. You've been spared from the wrath of a holy God who will not tolerate your evil. You've been spared from the eternal consequences of refusing the invitation of God for salvation. That yeah. that's, that's the, the, the good news part of that. So 
I think that's where you find the balance is, is to say, here's the truth about God's righteousness and holiness and the consequences of the devastation of sin in your life. But I have really good news for you. There's salvation. Yeah, you have to explain why the news is good. Yes. And that's, I think, why it's called the good news, the gospel. In So it's interesting, the gospel, we are first introduced to it in the story of Jesus. Well, those original people who experienced that message and really then the earliest readers of it, what, what was their background? Their background was the Old Testament, where they see this God who literally was a consuming fire, like he'd open up the earth and swallow you know, people into it, take lives by the thousands because of the nature of sin. Um, so that was really good news. So thank, thank God that Jesus came and provided, you know, a sacrifice for sin. So I think there is a way, again, depending on your, your, the motives of your delivery, I think there's a, a way of saying, Hey, I just, I come with love to caution you. Here's something you need to know about God and the promises he's made about how he's going to deal with sin. Yeah. And you stand before him. We all stand before him guilty of our sin, but here's the good news. I offer you Jesus, the sacrifice for sin. It's possible for you to be forgiven and to be rescued. That's my favorite interpretation of uh, saved. It's really about being rescued from the danger that you're in. And uh, that's, that's, I think, how you can deliver the balance of those two uh, extreme sides of God without intimidating or bullying or, you know, scaring people into something. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of people, um, who wish to avoid the, the harder passages, this being one of them and, and even that side of God's character, just kind of ignoring the passages altogether, mm -hmm. um, or just kind of tossing them out. Um, and I think that that kind of gets us to a deeper problem, but um, which is probably a topic all by itself, but the idea that um, people are having a really hard time, I think, in, in, in just the general consensus of the, of the idea that the Bible is inerrant or that it's consistent. So you have to take it, you have to take all of it, or it's kind of an all or nothing scenario, right? I think. Um, and so that seems to be a real issue with some of these harder passages is, is people just tossing out the ones that they don't want. Oh yeah. And we're seeing that, see, again, that's another thing we're seeing in society is this revisionist approach to history. Let's take away the ugly side of it or the side that here at this time we consider ugly and let's literally hide it. Let's reframe it. Let's take it away. Let's replace it with something that we'd much rather hear. And, yeah. And only and hide the good ones. You know? Yes. And so people are doing that with history. It's not a surprise then that they'll do that with the Bible. They're either throwing the entire Bible out as, you know, just religious myth, or they're saying these parts about the nature of God, we don't like, they make us uncomfortable. I can't imagine a God would, that would be like that. That's not the kind of God that I want to put my faith in. So yeah, we, we dismiss those sorts of passages because, um, because of the accountability to them. Do you think that 
So a lot of the times people will separate the God of the Old Testament. And you even just kind of said that, like, well, the, the people at the time of Jesus's, Jesus walked the earth, the people had the background of the Old Testament. And so they had this idea of God as being one who would bring down hell, you know, not hellfire, but fire onto Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance. Right. Um, and then Jesus comes along and now our picture of him is one of being very tender and um, uh, jovial almost. Somebody that you can, that, that would just not, it, it seems like this, this dichotomy almost. Yeah. Do you think that Jesus, at the, but then, I guess continue on, but then you see a different Jesus show up in Revelation to John. So do you think that the Jesus that we experience in the Gospels was a particular, because he was here for a certain purpose, that was a particular way that he wanted to present himself at that time? Uh, no. I think what we see of Jesus will be completely consistent in no matter what era or situation we encounter. Uh, John 1 tells us that um, Jesus embodied everything that God was. Like, in other words, we get to know what God is like through Jesus. And what we're seeing is that the truth is, is that this God of the Old Testament is also a very gracious, kind, compassionate, shepherd kind of God. You may not get that as your prevailing picture of God in the Old Testament because of the examples of what gets, you know, the most traffic. But the fact of the matter is that God who destroyed entire civilizations also saved entire civilizations and came to people's rescue and provided for people who, was hurt, who were hurting. So he was a shepherd. Jesus, on the other hand, he comes and, and he's showing us that side, that, that expression of God that just doesn't get as much traffic in the Old Testament, at least not the way that people handle the Old Testament. But the fact that Jesus goes to the cross and um, shoulders the wrath of God for sin on behalf of human beings is just demonstrating, again, the seriousness of it, of sin. And he's coming as the rescuer, the, the provision of God for that side of God. Um, I think you can see some of that seriousness, that weightiness of God through Jesus when uh, the, you know, the exchange in the temple when he overturns the tables or when he um, confronts the Pharisees with, you know, very harsh language about their hypocrisy. I, I think we're seeing that same dimension of God. But I think what God's saying through Jesus is, yeah, I'm who I am. You better take me seriously, but you also better reach out and take the provision that I've offered you. Um, and then we're just meeting kind of the, the combination of that in Revelation. We're seeing both, you know, worthy is the lamb that was slain is the, you know, the chorus of the angels. But we also then see Jesus delivering the wrath of God in its fullness in judgment and, and, and the whole, you know, prophetic future. So I, I think it's all the same. I think there's a consistent reflection of God and Jesus throughout the scriptures. I, 
I'm thinking Jesus is simply um, embodying a, a an expression of God that um, we just don't necessarily focus that much on in our interpretation of the Old Testament. Yeah, well, and I think God was obviously God had the purpose of reconciliation with his creation from from the fall and probably before that, but he was also dealing with the nation of Israel at the time and right. it wasn't it wasn't the same it well it wasn't always this the same purpose. Like he was dealing yeah. with the nation of Israel no, I, I and then Jesus is always and so yeah. very different things. Um but you also see Jesus like he lets the rich young ruler walk in chase after him. Right. Which I mean that to me that is also demonstrating the seriousness of God because you know we're always like well oh what's that song um the one that went huge you know he's he's knocking through walls kicking open doors oh. running after me <laughs> running after and me. it's like well he didn't do that to the rich young ruler <laughs> let that dude walk right. and it's not just because he's rich i don't like that's another thing especially with the rise of liberation theology which is essentially just that jesus was here to like break down class systems and um that's essentially just <laughs> propel the progressive idea of of what government should be like is what liberation theology is from what i've gathered right but um it's like he would have let anybody walk it just happened to be the rich young yeah. ruler that had that encounter with him yeah so i i think what we see the rich young ruler and probably a couple other illustrative examples is is jesus making the offer but re allowing human beings to choose, which is the story of history and the story of redemptive history. Um, people, God honors the empowerment that he gave human beings to make choices, knowing that not all of them will choose him. And I, I think we're seeing that in the story that you're talking about, the rich young ruler, I think that's a perfect example is he tells them, here's the truth. Here's what you need to understand. But he doesn't insist on him making the choices that he would prefer. I've been listening to a guy named Vody Bauckham. Uh huh. Love that dude. The way fantastic, and he's got that. He's a he's a black pastor, and he has that that gray power beard. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> maybe I need to grow a power beard. You need to grow a power beard. Like you, whenever you were on your sabbatical, I saw the picture of you, and you were all scruffy, and I'm like, oh, he's coming back rough and, but I don't know. I said like fiery and rough or something. No, because it rhymed. But regardless, <laughs> um, he was talking about how, and you you used the passage in your sermon this past Saturday about how it went. In Romans 1, it says, he, and God gave them over to this long list of things. And um, essentially just disordered desires. And so that would infer that there was something that, that God, that there was still some type of protection that was on them before. Yes? I'm not sure I understand. What does it mean that he gave them over? So like they had them and I'm sure that they were proclaim they were practicing them at the time, but then God gave them, gave them over. Um, that's a good question. I guess I would initially without, you know, any kind of in-depth study of like those words and that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm basically concluding that he gave them over is basically he's, he's just taken his hands off of, um, any sort of guidance, help or influence toward the right. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. And that's kind of what I think is, yeah, essentially just like, okay, well, fine. It's, it's sort of like, uh, again, kind of thinking on my feet here, it'd be like a parent who has a, uh, 
you know, a late teen who's become out of control, maybe due to an addiction. And they've realized that maybe the most helpful thing they could do is, is let that child, um, hit rock bottom, hit rock bottom and kind of endure the consequences in very vivid ways that maybe they've been protecting them from, you know, rescuing them from enabling them. I'm not accusing God of enabling human beings, but through the, you know, we read, we've been studying the last two Sundays about uh, the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus says in John 16, the, the Spirit would come and he would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, I believe. And so maybe, maybe what to turn them over was God removing or at least, um, lessening the Holy Spirit's involvement and even keeping them in check in any kind of way. That's just a, a rough take is yeah. basically taking his hands off. Now, can he even do that? Like completely remove himself. Um, but basically as an influence or some sort of insulation from their choices, he just lets them, lets them run knowing that it's not going to turn out well. Yeah. Well, and my, and I agree. That's kind of what I gather from it. And, um, my point being just that, like, that is something that I read that and I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's scary. Especially yeah. if like you're caught up in something, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and maybe you haven't, um, done your best to try to repent and yeah, you're going to make mistakes still or whatever, but you're not actively working, uh, against those things that you'd rather not do or things that are sinful. That's a scary thought that, um, you know, if you brush it off too much and just, you know, uh, essentially neglect God too much, that there is something that he gives, may give you over to. Yeah. And I think even too, and now I'm not a, the devil's behind every closed door kind of guy. Right. But I, I do think that there is a spiritual battle occurring every single day at all times. And there are agents of darkness, right? Like I think who said it's like our battle is not physical, yeah. but it's against the Ephesians, um, Ephesians six. Yeah. And so essentially demons, which I want to do a podcast episode on just angels and demons in general. But, um, I've been listening to this other podcast. Um, it's called the exorcist files and say what you will about how Catholics interact with the exorcist. But <laughs> But demons and stuff and like just, okay, essentially just doors that you open up. Yeah. I mean, doors that you open up and um, that could also be something. It's like, well, God was keeping that spiritual battle away from your door and now he's allowing it yeah. to have a. Yeah, I, I think those are all possibilities for how we might understand what that. Yeah. But I mean, that's something that should be feared. We should fear oh. God removing that hedge of protection from our lives. Oh, without a doubt. And. The problem is that when a society removes God completely out of the discussion, yeah. they're not even thinking in those terms, which is scary. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I sitting here thinking about this, I, I really don't know what it would take or I hate to sound this pessimistic, but I don't even know if it's possible for a nation, certainly a world to return to some healthy 
fear of God at this point. I, again, that I could be wrong. I don't know, but it's hard for me to imagine the way, you know, you know we talk about the slippery slope. I, I do believe that there's a point to where you get over the slope far enough that the pull of gravity is so great. There's no recovery. And now it's just a question of how fast you descend. Yeah. And um, I'm in a conversation with some friends of mine that I have a text message with that we trade mess uh, messages three or four times a week. Uh, just friends from college, two of them are pastors and two of them are just, um, one of them's a missionary and two of them are just these great guys that have good kind of theological awareness. Uh, but aren't in like an official ministry capacity. Um, and we've been talking about what we're watching happen in our society. And um, there's a consensus that we were maybe over that, you know, downward part of the slippery slope. And point of recovery is not only impossible the the rate at which we're falling is shocking. You just look at some of the things that are being perpetuated in society just in the last five, 10 years is, is scary. And, you know, the logically, I think I could trace back to where we are today. Some of that is where we pushed God out of a society and there's no healthy fear. Yeah. about that. There's no healthy, eternal, spiritual perspective to anything in a society as a whole. So um, I don't know. I don't know how you recover that because even, even in any kind of cataclysmic event that happens that we might interpret as God stepping in, most of it's dismissed as being divine in any nature. So, um, again, I'm not saying it can't be recovered. I'm just at a loss at how. There does seem to be this small up, upwelling in An kind upwelling. of my, my generation. Yeah. Upwelling? Is that a word? Yeah. Upwelling? That's a word. I've learned not to question you why. That, that one's a word. I would say uprising, but upwelling, I'll look it up when we get done. Look it up. That one's a word. Anybody okay. listening, look it up. I'm right. <laughs> He's right. I could be wrong. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> but um, <laughs> in my generation, uh, and, and maybe like th say 30 and under, of, um, and this is just kind of how like the popular things in society goes. It's really, if you want to be, the cool thing to do whenever you're younger is not to do what your parents did. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, all of our parents are, you know, the ones who started most of this mess. And so it's not cool to continue on with what their same thing. You know, the pendulum swings back and forth. And yeah. uh, now there does seem to be some people kind of realizing what the pat what the last generation has done and given us, which is a whole bunch of nothingness, lack of meaning, lack of direction, lack of guardrails, nothing. And so, um, that's what we inherited, uh, is 
a message of you can be anything and do anything and nothing you do is wrong. So it's like, okay, well now there's no direction at all. Right. Um, there does seem to be something of more traditional values starting to kind of peak back up as being the thing to do, um, specifically with like family, younger families. And, um, now that is all going to go away. I think if the church doesn't reach up and grab the opportunity that is right presenting itself because the church is still afraid to church in at large afraid to speak the messages that would help that thing along mm-hmm. um but i'm i am seeing some of that oh. and so yeah that gives me hope now i don't think it's necessarily something that's going to stop the destruction of the society in general from the society from destroying itself right um just like rome um rome wasn't destroyed from the outside it was destroyed from the inside sure and, uh, you know, people always say, well, history doesn't necessarily repeat. I've heard it said like history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And it's like, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's good. Um, there does seem to be a, 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 a desire for, for something to revere. Yes, I, I agree. I I've seen illustrations of that. I'm wondering if it's a strong enough majority to stem the tide or to turn the tide. It's sort of like um, the neighborhood's burning down and there's a little bit of water being sprayed on it, but we may save one house, but we won't save the neighborhood. That's probably true, especially if the way that we're trying to put out the fire is very delicately. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, I'm appreciating examples in news and across different um, arenas of life, academia, uh, politics, and uh, the commercial or the, the business industry. I, I'm, I'm encouraged by examples uh, I see of people making very strong stances against a lot of popular thinking, you know, particularly the whole woke movement. We're seeing, we're seeing professors and we're seeing business people and we're seeing students um, making stands. And I'm encouraged by that. I'm just, again, I don't want to be pessimistic. I'm just curious if it's a little too late or if it's a small majority that will, you know, they stand out because they're so rare. Um, but will a larger movement or population of people make, you know, similar statements of stance to really do battle against it i I really don't know so um i like to believe that it could happen maybe at my age i'm a little bit skeptical about it yeah no and i mean i don't know you'd like to think that the courage of a few to really kind of start that thing off yeah like just just this morning I, i don't know how i stumbled across it but um i watched this video of a um a coach at um, a popular secular university who made some post on um, her Instagram account or Twitter account about um, the whole gender thing. And she's a coach, a women's uh, athletic coach. And she was, she made a post about um, how women's sports ought to be reserved for biological women as opposed to allowing 
men to participate How in that. How dare she? Yeah. Well, then she she literally got hauled before a student shared her post with the school administration, and she just got raked over the coals. Yeah, the tribunals. She got literally got brought into a room full of, you know, the DEI officer and the the president and vice president and the department chair. And, and like, literally she describes sitting in this circle where they're just firing at her and she hasn't been fired yet, but she's anticipating that, you know, the wheels are in motion that they'll eventually find a reason to dismiss her. And I just really appreciated her courage and her consistency of thought uh, on a number of different uh, levels about why um, that kind of behavior is such a violation of, you know, basic American rights of free speech and different ideas and opinions, especially at a academic university that's supposed to welcome, you know, the diversity of thought, but really it doesn't. It just squelches anything that's contrary to, you know, the liberal perspective. And I, I just found that kind of inspiring of her making that stand. And, and she does a great job in, in the video that I watched. She does a great job of explaining. She has a deep, deep love for the student athletes that she serves. And she's a women's um, lacrosse coach. And so uh, she's, she's just genuinely, in you know, has a genuine love and concern for them as people. And she hates to see what's happening to them and their opportunity because of this woke idea that men can be women and they are allowed to participate on sports teams or in locker rooms. And she's like, that's not healthy. It's, it's not good. It's not right. And she's making a stand for it out of a real genuine place of concern. Yeah. And I just found it inspiring that, you know what, that she's in the lion's den right now. You know, she's, she is literally getting lamb blasted from every side, not supported by anybody. And in part of her concluding remark, she's, she makes a statement. This isn't quote, this is kind of the general gist of what she said. She basically said, I just decide I'm going to be the voice for everybody who wants to say these things, but are afraid to. Yep. I just want to be the voice for everybody who's walking on eggshells, afraid they're going to lose their job if they said what they really thought. Or I just want to be the voice for those people who've been bullied and intimidated into silence for fear of being, you know, canceled or deplatformed. I, I, I decided that at my age and my experience, I'm going to be the voice that's going to speak up in spite of what the consequences might be. And so I see those illustrations and those are very encouraging illustrations. I see that happening throughout a number of different, you know, arenas of life. I'm, I'm just wondering, can it be enough? Well, I'll agree with you that the universities are gone. I don't believe that there's any hope for them. Okay. None at all. And yes, they are supposed to be the place that the free speech is supposed to be welcomed, but they're also the places where they cause this mess. It's there that, that the ideology, yeah, the ideology advances in a yes. ingrained. To that's the where, that's that. where the problem has got caused. So I don't think that, you know, patient zero is going to be the cure. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I would agree that those. Those places are gone. Um, 
But I do think that, that, I mean, now here's, here's a really good win for an example. Okay. Less than 50% of Gen Z sees college education as being worthwhile. That's a huge win in my book. Okay. Because then they don't go to the place where they get infected. Right. And so it's like, okay, so the people are refraining from going to these places. And to no. me, that's a win. Because those places would then have less opportunity to negatively influence a next generation. I mean, it's 10 to 1 professors of a more progressive ideology and a conservative ideology. Right. So, I mean, regardless, you're going to be swayed in one way or the other. Right. And I'm not saying that progressive is evil and conservative is good. I'm just saying... Um, there are, are there are definitely elements of the progressive side that are evil, I think. And they, so they're definitely different. And the fruits of those differences are extreme. Yes. And I think some are evil. But I agree. Um, on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, okay, well, back to the fear of God thing. Why is it a why why is the fear of God a prerequisite to wisdom? As the wisdom guy. As the wisdom guy. For our listeners, that means I'm very interested in the topic of wisdom, not necessarily because I'm a wise person, but yeah, um, I think, I think wisdom is different than intellect or intelligence. Um, intelligence is good and valuable and has a place, but wisdom is better. Wisdom is able to take intelligence and utilize it in constructive, healthy, truth filled kinds of ways. It makes life better to be wise. Um, I think the fear of God is important to that or actually the beginning of that because what you're doing is you're including God into the equation. When you push God out of the equation, it's impossible to be wise because the fear of God and the constraints that he provides for human life are important accountabilities. You just keep coming back to this accountability consequences um those they serve a purpose in life um discipline as a um corrective directive sort of exercise it has a place in life because the heart of a human is corrupt and deceived and uh, blind so we have all sorts of potential to go in all sorts of really dangerous directions but when you put God into that equation and you recognize things like consequence and um, responsibility and accountability, then you're, you're, you have some guardrails about what it is that you choose to do. And having those guardrails provides for better choices. I, that makes sense. And, I, and something kind of clicked is that if you... Uh, are missing a fear of God if you don't have it. You're really just kind of focused on the here and the now, which is a lot of just that, and that's what sin That's what sin's really telling you to do. Most of sin is telling you to gratify your desires right now. Right. But fearing God expands your timeline. Yeah, it, it says, uh, yeah, enjoy your life, but know that there's an eternity. I mean, the the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is like, at the end of the day, go ahead, enjoy your life. I'm not God's not trying to rob you of joy in life, but be really careful about what you find joy in because your choices and your actions have eternal consequences. So um, 
make wise choices about what you get involved in, knowing that someday you will be held accountable to them from an eternal perspective. And it just so happens that the things that God has for us from an eternal perspective are much richer, fuller, better. You'll be a whole lot happier if you pursue a way of God. It puts life in a true perspective. This idea of, um, you know, I only live now. I'm some kind of an animal and I only live for so many years without any, you know, eternal perspective basically says, well, I can do as I please because there's no consequence. There's no accountability. Um, I, I just got, before we realized the camera wasn't working, um, <laughs> we, uh, I said, you know, one of the big buzzwords now is freedom. Everybody wants is freedom. Don't tell me what I can't do. Don't, you know, put rules and regulations on anything. And we think that's freedom, but with God in it will tell you, no, it's slavery. Yeah. You're, you're just giving yourself over to your deceitful desires, as the scriptures describe. Those desires are lying to you. And so you chase after them thinking, oh, isn't this wonderful? Nobody's telling me that this is right, bad or wrong or that I can't do it. And so we chase after this deceitful desire thinking we're free. But really all we're doing is spiraling down into an even deeper expression of slavery, a slavery to sin and to evil. And that's, that's what Jesus came to deliver us from. And that's what a healthy understanding of God's input in the equation is at least, um, it provides enlightenment to that. But if you ignore it, you, I don't really have any fear of God. I don't think that's anything I need to be concerned with. Then you're pushing that, that uh, element of enlightenment out of your, your soul and you end up, you know, end up deceived. You end up enslaved. Um, as we saw Sunday, we end up fools. To, you know, thinking ourselves to be wise. Aren't we wise? We don't need God. We can do as we please. Aren't we wise? they became fools. They ended up creating a mess that was far more dangerous and destructive than they even knew to anticipate. And I think we're seeing all sorts of illustrations of that very thing uh, happening in, in our society. Yeah, all of that intelligence that we have now in the 21st century, and the best of us can't even define what a woman is. Yep. How... How great. And I was also smiling while you were talking about the freedom side of things because it's unsurprising to me, but I guess, you know, I, it should cause pause that the, I was listening to a podcast with the satanic about this ex Satanist and, um, the satanic temples like motto is freedom that it's just this idea of free will. And so that's what a lot, like whether they actually think of loose you know satan as being a real being um lucifer and satan are kind of these banner you know the these flag bearers of well i'm not i get i'm gonna do what i want yeah and maybe should cause pause that <laughs> the exact opposite of christianity is claiming the very thing that you're saying is so good just yeah. just an idea and Again, I'm finding significance in passages of scripture that I've read many times, but just with what's going on in, in our world, they're, they're becoming more vivid, 
not more true, but more vivid than I've ever seen them before. And a passage that we looked at on this past Sunday from Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just going, yes, yes, I see this now more than I ever have. You have these you have these people established as, you know, the declarers of truth and the makers of right and wrong, but when you see God's description of them, their hearts are darkened and their mind is blind and they're deceived. That's the place they operate from. And because the deception is so great, they don't even know that they're they're working from a, a liability, a spiritual liability that keeps them from truly recognizing what's true or right or best. And so then consequently, whatever truth, whatever uh, moral right or whatever ethical best they declare, it's broken. It's broken from the very beginning because of where it, you know, it originates. Yeah, their from. very foundation is corrupt. Yeah, and so, you know, it's sort of like building a house uh, on a, you know, a swamp, but they don't even know. They think, oh, look at the beautiful house that we built. Yeah, but it's on a swamp. And in time, it's just going to sink. It's just going to fall in. And that's, I think, what we're seeing with all this, you know, great enlightenment of, you know, all these social permissions that are out there. People ought to be able to do this. And religion and tradition and, you know, the patriarchy and the past shouldn't def- you know, shouldn't encumber these things. And it's just, it comes from a place of blindness. And therefore, that in and of itself is, is a broken premise or a defective premise. And um, we, can't, we can't expect that a, a nation that's fooled by it or a society that's deceived by it will rise higher than it, it's capable. Yeah. No, I agree. So, you know, going back to wisdom and the fear of God is, a, you know, what role does it play or why is it so important? Is that anytime you throw God out of the equation, you're missing the critical piece or the critical element of its um, truth, of its success. I mean, think of Genesis 1. God creates Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2, and then... Adam and Eve decide, well, we can do better than God. Yeah. And so essentially they're pushing God out of the equation. And what fills the vacuum is sin. Is um, sin's the absence of God. And we're just seeing that in spades in a society that continues to push God further and further out of every dimension of life. And again, the perception is, look how successful we are, look how wise we are, look how free we are. <laughs> and it's just a fragile foundation to build life. There's this movie called, um, oh, dang it. You forgot. You were ready. And then you're on air. Gosh, dang it. It's about this guy. It's, it's about this um, serial killer. And a psychologist is sent in to determine whether or not he's crazy because he's on death row. And so if he's crazy, then they'll keep him locked up forever, but they won't kill him. He won't receive the death, um, death punishment. Nefarious is the movie. Okay. And, uh, it actually just recently came out. And anyways, this fellow, this, the guy that's on death row is 
the idea behind it is that he's possessed. And um, the demon and, and the psychologist are having this conversation about, and the psychologist claims, well, you guys are obviously losing because we're, we're like, things are getting so much better. He's like, we're getting rid of hate speech. You know, everybody's more free than ever. People can love who they want, get married to who they want, blah, 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 blah. And the demon just starts rattling off all this stuff about just like, well, you, you know, he's like, he's like, right now there's more slaves that exist right now than at the height of the triangle trade or, or the Arab slave trade. And he's like, you want to know the best part? They're all, he's like, more than, more than half of them are sex slaves. And he just rattles off all this stuff. Right. And the psychologist is sitting there like, what the? Yeah. People don't, people don't, well, yeah. Like you were saying, it's like, well, look at all our freedom and everything's right. so good. But in reality, it's like, no, 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 no. They, yeah. It makes things worse. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. I've I've heard it highly recommended yeah, for it's good. those sorts of perspectives. Um but yeah, I you know, I watch um I kind of watch news as as um as it's delivered through media and watching the deception and the propaganda and the agenda that, you know, influences what journalists will look at and look into and what they won't. Um, and yeah, I think I'm seeing that just from a, a different expression. We think we're getting better. Really. We're just making things worse. Yeah. Even simple stuff like literacy rates are at an all time high. It's like, yeah, but half of those can't read past the sixth grade level. So it's just stuff like that's insane. Okay. So, Maybe to finish up the convo, we kind of bring it to a close. The convo. That's a new term for that. The, I was the, in a conversation with someone your age last night, and they used the word convo, and I'm like, okay, I guess it's the thing. I guess. I guess I probably use convo. I don't use much of my age jargon, right? but uh, convo just seems nice because it's so much shorter. So much shorter. Just so much shorter. I mean, to have to drudge my way all the way through conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's like four syllables. Yes. And we chose it to be the podcast name in our, in our <laughs> deep wisdom. Oh, Sibylla Creek Convos. Sibylla Creek oh, Conversations. Yeah, that so shortens it up. It Well, it takes out half of the last word <laughs> a little bit. But all regardless. Right. Regardless, what were you going to say? How do we, how does one increase their fear, their respect, their deep reverence for God. How do we increase that um, in our own lives? Maybe in, some like, in personal people, practices. And people who are like interested in. Yeah. So okay. say Christians. Okay. Well, I can't say Christians because not all of them are interested in the fear of God. Uh, Christians who are looking for healthy expressions of what it means to follow Christ. Yeah, who have an accurate understanding of who God is. Let's say yeah. that. Um. This first thing popped in my mind. I absolutely believe it to the core of my being. Um, spend a lot of time studying the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, don't become a, you know, a right-hand side of the Bible kind of person where you only read the, uh, the New Testament. In fact, I mean, you can get a copy of the Bible that's just the New Testament. Let's not, let's not worry about that Old Testament thing. No, it's, it's part of the 66 critical books of revelation that God intended us to have. And so I'd say, yeah, read, read, read the old Testament with a tremendous curiosity toward the honest understanding of who God is. And wrestle with the fact that what you read in the old Testament and 
the Jesus that you see in the gospels. That's the same. They're the same yes. person. Yeah. yeah. Wrestle with that. It's uncomfortable, make, but make it's the, necessary. Make the connection between the two Testaments because there is a connection. Yeah. Critical connection. Um, you know, again, this is a hard sell, of course, but um, wrestle with the book of Leviticus. It may seem really boring, but there is an enormous portrait of God that's being painted in those details that a person really needs to understand. Um, so that, that would be like my first one is spend lots of time in the Old Testament. Um, this, probably another war, uh, way is, um, you know, keep company with people who have a, a shared concern about the nature of sin. Yeah. Not people, you know, obsessed with the conversation, but, um, I'm saying people that have a healthy, uh, disgust for their own personal failings and are working diligently to, um, practice confession and repentance and spiritual disciplines to, you know, stave off kind of the, the natural lethargy that can happen in a soul. Um, so spend time that with people that have those conversations and invite that kind of accountability. I'd say that, um, I've got one while you're thinking, yeah, it's one that I mentioned in my sermon, but it kind of can seem weird, but try to interact with God. Like he's God instead of like your, your boyfriend your friend or your boyfriend, like yeah. it, like more often than not, most of the times you interact with God are going to have to be more casual because you're, you're doing stuff all throughout the day. But is there any time throughout your week where you have a more reverent posture in your That's engagement great. with, with God? Like, are are you ever coming to him as a sinner before God, the right. God of the universe? Or are you always coming to him as if he's your best bud? Yeah. It's like he, he is, but he's also God. And so... Um, I, that has helped me a lot is mm. I uh. read those. And like I said, you, you, you asked the staff that one time of like, well, how, what do you picture? And it's like, well, a way you can do this is try to read the descriptions of the throne room, whether it be in Isaiah or in revelation, um, or, or any of the other times where people have these visions of what the throne room looks like, or, or even Moses on Mount Sinai, read those things and try to picture that and you coming before that. And, um, that can kind of just, it places you in the correct, I guess it, 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 uh, rightly places you before God. No, I, I think that's an excellent, excellent, um, suggestion. You said, um, at least have a time and a place that you come in that direction. I'd probably say, no, that should always be because. Yes, he's my heavenly father, but he's the king of the universe. So I, I always come at it from the perspective that this is, he's, he loves me and I'm safe in him, but he's serious. Uh, I've been, uh, other reading that I was doing on my sabbatical was the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. And just getting, uh, I had never read the whole series through in, in entirety. I think I've only read maybe one of the, one of the editions at before this and i'm working my way through it and just being reminded again of aslan mm. and 
what he is and who he is and how he is was really good. Like, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of God I want that I need. He's, he's a fierce lion. Also, you know, this loving, uh, creature, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I have somebody in my life right now who I think has a very cavalier way that they talk with God. And I just find it annoying every time. And I, I was like, okay, it's not mine to judge, but that that's almost too friendly. I think I know where they're coming from or what it's about, but I just like, no, no, not for me. I, I, he's a great King and I, always address him and relate to him in that way. Yeah. This is just me, but if I were you and you ever refer to God as daddy God. No, I haven't heard that one. Please stop. (laughs) Please. Please stop. Sorry. (laughs) There we go from Wyatt Marchant. Just stop. Yeah. Please. For all that's holy, please don't refer to him as as daddy. Um, Yeah. So other ways, um, Again, everybody's different in how they learn or, you know, kind of what impacts them. Um, Again, I'm speaking out of my own experience. Uh, My sabbatical offered me some opportunities. You know, I I went to six of the national parks in Arizona and Utah, and, and I sat on the edges of some enormous chasms in the earth. And um, literally that, that was part of my, almost daily routine was to go and find a, a place of isolation and literally sit as close as I could to the edge without feeling like I was going to fall into the abyss and just, just take in the enormity of planet earth and my proportion to it. And that helps me that, that kind of right-sided life, right-sided God in life and some of the things that I left my sub left form left when I left for my sabbatical, some of the things that I was shouldering, I think had assumed a greater, uh, significance than they really deserved. Mm. And so being alone and being in these grand places just sort of brought me back to a, a certain, you know, awareness of how small and insignificant not only am I in relationship to him, but the things I was making a bigger deal than they needed to be. Um, so that's helpful to me. Some people may connect with that and other people may not. Um, I think people do connect with that. In fact, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I think it's a, I think one of the ways in which we've gotten ourselves in this trouble beyond all the obvious ones is that we can't see the stars anymore. Mm. Like when, if you go outside and, and say like you're far away from the city and you can look up at the stars and it just, Oh, the, just the grandeur of the night sky is it makes, it makes you feel appropriately small. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that happened to me one night I was, uh, I was in my tent, uh, I was in Arizona and Utah, so it was hotter than 80s. Mm-hmm. 
And so the first several hours of the night, I just slept with all the flaps of my tent open just to get some kind of air movement through there. And I remember one night waking up, and I, I don't remember, it was like 12 or 1 o'clock. And looking out, just, you know, looking out the flap and seeing a section of the sky, and I was like, oh, my word, look at that. It's like you could just see the galaxies. It was so because there's no light yep. out there. And yeah, again, I think that's all kind of being in such an expansive place that it kind of puts you and God into their proper perspective. So ways to increase your fear of God or your respect and reverence for him are, um, number one, you mentioned read the Old Testament. Spend time in the Old Testament seeing the God of the Old Testament. Number two is find community that also shares the disgust and the disgust for sin, but also the love for God's righteousness. Right. I said, interact with God like he's God, have a reverent uh, posture whenever yeah. interacting with him. And then this last one. Um, Put yourself in places where you're yeah. reminded of just how enormous. Awe-inspiring, beautiful yeah. places. And th there, there may be others, of course. Yeah. Um, but those, those are ones that stand out to me. Um, I, I have, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a contemplative, certainly an introvert. So this is easier for me than for some people, but I, I prefer, I don't prefer, um, I have a longing for silence and solitude. Those are places that I'm very comfortable that that doesn't scare me that doesn't make me panic and so um getting away from all the noise of my life and all the inputs of my life being silent and getting away from all the people and the expectations that come with being a pastor those are really healthy experiences for me even if it's just for a couple hours um Again, that silence, that solitude um, helps me to right-size God um, when I'm feeling like uh, my life is, is really kind of out of a balance in relationship to my concerns about all that's going on. Yeah, and that's good. All right, well, one other words. One. one other one I'd say. It may go back to the second one we mentioned, but, you know, filling your head with and your heart with all sorts of music, imagery, reading, mm. movies of things that are very um, uh, disrespectful and dismissive of God mm. is also kind of a, it's, it's a, a negative or destructive way of destroying your, your fear of God. Um, I, you know, I, I like action adventure kinds of movies, but, um, I went through this really long season. Like I just had to stop watching them. I, I got so, um, disgusted with how violent they could be and how cavalier we are about like people dying, being killed in, in the movies. And Really what that does is it kind of hardens your sensitivities to things that God hates. Yeah. 
And again, I'm not the guy who's saying don't go to movies or don't listen to certain music or don't read certain things. I'm just saying an appetite for or a diet of too much of that stuff. Don't underestimate the influence it could have on the health of your soul. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I know, I know some people, they kind of have their genre of thing and they chase after it, you know, pretty diligently. Well, just be careful that because it can be numbing you to the kinds of things that God finds disgusting or immoral. And really what you're doing then is kind of numbing yourself to a sensitivity to a fear Yeah, for the things that are important to him. It's like, I've, I have friends and I don't get it, but they can just like in their free, like they're, they're working or they're just driving around town, like listening to like hard rap. Don't get it. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what about this registers with you? It's talking about, you know, killing people or having sex or rolling up with, you know, your money, whatever. Like you're not doing any of this. You're yeah. working on your computer. Yeah. Like you're on Microsoft Word listening to <laughs> listening to this hard rap. It's like I don't and so you're just like inundating yourself with this mess. And I'm not saying not listen to it. I mean but I mean I don't get how you can do it all the time like that. Like if you're listening to WAP in your downtime, yeah. Question yourself. Sure. No. Mm -hmm. I I think those, all those kinds of things can really, what the Bible would describe as harden the heart. Yeah, yeah. And so then any sensitivity to a deep and profound respect of God gets, gets. Yeah. So that's not helping. Absolutely. Well, now that Apollo has finished eating, because you could definitely hear him in the background. Oh, you could? I could oh, yeah. I couldn't hear him. You couldn't hear him? I saw him walk through, but I couldn't hear him. Yeah, he went over there and started munching. Could hear him in the background. Hopefully, hopefully I can edit that out. But on that note, you got some editing to do today. We yeah, what a mess. Camera failure, and I'm sure you'll figure out a way. I think I think there was some parts of the conversation that were really good that we might not have captured, but maybe the audio we can salvage. That yeah, I can just, I've put up before, like, technical difficulties. So you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. But anyways, we'll see everybody next time. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.